Welcome to the Question of Qualified podcast covering Game of Thrones. We still have a couple days left until episode three premieres, so I'm here on the line with Mike Yax. Yax, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing pretty good. How are you, John? Good, good. I'm excited for this weekend's episode. Uh, I think we're going to be trying to watch it from a plane, which will be an interesting experience since I'm sure the entire plane will be trying to watch it at the same time. But we'll see how that goes. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. <laughs> it probably will not work out, but... See if it works out for you. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so let's go ahead and talk about Season 8, Episode 2, A Night of the Seven Kingdoms. I think uh, this would be the third consecutive reunion episode if we're going on sort of general episode types and it was my favorite of the three so if you go back to the season seven finale and then the season eight premiere and then this one i think this was the one that reminded me the most of sort of like peak thrones days which pretty much corresponds with when george's writing was still really leading the show and you ended up with a lot of a lot of time spent with characters in rooms sort of discussing shared histories or the intricacies of what's going on, as opposed to having people pop up in any given location at a time. So I thought it was my favorite out of those three, even though it was the third consecutive episode of Smiling When You See a Reunion of Two People. Uh, yeah. What did you think, just sort of in general? <clears throat> yeah, I, I talked with a few people about this, and they... Like, I think the consensus is that this one was at least better than the first episode of the season, which I don't know if I agree. And I definitely like the finale the most out of the last three of last season, I think. Interesting. Okay, that's that's very interesting. So let's let's talk about that a little bit. I think rewatching the finale my problem with the finale from last season would be that so much of it hinged on incredibly dumb things yeah. that I think that colored things poorly for me. <laughs> yeah, it's real tough because that plan is real dumb. <laughs> right. And we've discussed the Theon winning winning the fight thing as also being really terrible. Yeah, that's complete nonsense. We I think we covered that last, <laughs> last <laughs> podcast sufficiently. Yeah, and we'll we'll get back to bagging on Theon later this episode, so we probably don't need to spend too much time doing that yeah. right now. Yeah, I was just going to say, I think the reason I liked it is I just, with all the baggage that, like, Cersei and um, Tyrion on screen together brings, I'm like, that electrifies me. So the more they can be on screen together, the more I find it compelling, I guess from a pure TV angle. But... I guess if we're going to compare just these two, I don't know. I, I don't really know why I would like the second one better than the first one. Yeah, so I think, so what I would say is, I think you're right about having Cersei in the mix for the finale does help elevate everything, just because like having her involved in all of it makes everything a little bit more interesting and dynamic. Whereas... The reunions we've had in these two episodes are, you know, other than a short stretch where Jamie is getting grilled by, you know, Danny, pretty much just happy occasions. Yeah. And so when you have the scene where Tyrion goes into Cersei's, you know, room, for instance, and you're pretty confident that she's going to order the mountain to cut him in half at some point is certainly more tense, I think, than any of the stuff that we've seen in these last two episodes. Yeah, and I think the levity he brings to her like in the way that he kind of talks to her like as if he's not afraid when he definitely is <laughs> i guess it's a little bit reminiscent of now how euron kind of does because like her character is just so it's so hard to watch her on screen without somebody with a kind of a glib approach to how like just over the top like dramatic she is like i feel like at the end of this series her and jamie on screen is almost unbearable <laughs> Oh, for sure. For sure. Before he left King's Landing, it was painful watching those scenes because she's just so brutally cold and hard at all times. Yeah, so it's like, yeah, she became, she's become kind of, yeah, without that, I don't know, the yin and the yang part of it, she's real hard to watch now. And I don't think it's the actress's fault. I think it's just the characters, like, kind of written into a corner at this point. Yeah, yeah, I think that's exactly right. Yeah. Uh, so I think then between the premiere of this season and this last episode, I think the difference to me was just that the, 
the reunions in this episode seemed oddly more connected than the ones in the first episode. And I don't, I don't know why that would be, but like, for instance, you get, you get warmer reunions between, you know, the, the interaction of, of the hound and Barrick is funnier and, you know, shows more of a shared history than Arya and John meeting up in the Godswood and having an awkward exchange about yeah. Arya yeah. liking Sansa now. And it's like, yeah. oh, well, okay, that's great, but... <laughs> yeah, that is a little bit... That's a little suspect. <laughs> like, I, I mean, yeah, it's not... Yeah, I agree with you, like, full-hearted. Like, yeah, I agree with you totally in that regard, actually. Especially with those two, but... Yeah, and we'll get to we'll get to Ghost a little bit later on, but we've never even got a reunion scene of John and Ghost, which seems criminal. Yeah, good. Was it you, or was like Ghost like about a third of the size he was supposed to be? Oh no, absolutely. Kat and I were discussing that this week. We were like, "Isn't the direwolf supposed to be the size of a small horse at this point? <laughs> like, this is a fully grown direwolf, and it looks like a husky." Yeah, maybe it's uh. It's supposed to, maybe the magic, like he's embracing his Targaryen side, so <laughs> the magic of the wolf is shrinking him into a normal dog. It's dwindling. It's... <laughs> yeah. I could believe that. That, that might be the that might be the best explanation we have. Well, um, that's why I'm here. <laughs> to offer the hard hitting, fact based Game of Thrones theorizing. Sound analysis. Okay, so so let's go through some of the reunions we had. Uh we start out, it opens up with Jamie in front, you know, sort of presenting himself and, and offering his services to the, the group, the Starkarian forces arranged in Winterfell. And it, Danny leads it off by grilling him about killing her father, which I can't tell if it's just because we've watched his redemption arc or because it's been 10 years since I read the first book or any of these things. But Honestly, listening to her talk about it, I was like, oh, God, that again? <laughs> yeah, and, like, the the mere fact that Jamie didn't even defend his actions to her, besides saying, I would do it all again, like, laying out why he murdered him. Like, right. Which, you know, saved many more people than it caused harm to, and was probably had a moral kind of, I mean, it was the moral thing to do, I guess. Yeah, it would have been fairly easy for him to be to just say he was going to detonate a catch of wildfire under king's landing yeah i think i think that would have been pretty easy also it might uh you know him confirming that there is that wildfire there might also <laughs> potentially you know, useful <laughs> might be useful i know Tyrion <laughs> mentioned it last season but like if somebody <laughs> else mentioned it maybe you could put it in your head for when you go to king's landing at some point if you win this battle i guess yeah that's a, that's a pretty good point it would be useful useful knowledge and i can't tell if if i want them to be discussing that or if along with some of my other things of why are you guys wasting time on this maybe you should be focusing on the the one threat that matters but so eventually brienne stands up and and sort of acts as the voice that that sells jamie to uh to sansa who you know based on Brienne's recommendation, welcomes him to Winterfell. John quickly follows suit, and Danny awkwardly agrees as well. I think the other, the only other element of it that I found strange, besides just being generally kind of over the, the salty Danny storyline at this point, mm-hmm. is she had a scene earlier in the series with Barristan where she learns the truth about her father. Yeah. And does not seem to have that impacting her thought process in this whatsoever. Yeah, I think even Tyrion also mentioned something about it to her, and she seemed to be receptive to it. And, yeah, I don't I mean, I don't know. I guess they had to create some kind of conflict surrounding him. Yeah, yeah, she's taking a serious turn for the salty, and let's actually, let's go, let's, you know, continue on with that, because one of the more, I think luckily there weren't many logic gaps in the reunions of this this. Episode, mm-hmm. but one of the ones that I thought, and this wasn't a reunion, but it's when Danny goes to visit Sansa, based on the advice that Jora gives her. <laughs> yeah, she everything seems to be working pretty well yeah. until Sansa brings up the same thing that has literally been her only 
motivation since they met, mm-hmm. which is keeping Northern independence. And at that point, Danny pulls away. Yeah. And I, was she just hoping that she could charm Sansa into forgetting about that bit? I'm not sure. I want to really congratulate the editors of this series and whoever did the cinematography of really zooming in on her hand moving. That was like just big time props for that. I mean, like this. <laughs> it's like, why do you need that? Sorry, I'm getting off track. Otherwise, you wouldn't be able to tell that she was upset. Yeah, right? Like the <laughs> change in her tone, her voice, her face. But we needed that. Yep. Like, it, it, on both sides, it's perplexing because I don't know, like, really why Sansa, like, needs this. She's not, like, dealing from a position of strength. She's not coming from any sort of, like, her dad, who was, like, you know, protector of the North, like, was happily, like, not king in the North. Like, her whole family has been basically murdered because they tried to declare independence for, you know, I don't know, just a whole bunch of different stuff that's happened. It's like, I don't know. I don't really understand why that's important. Yeah, I I, I see. It's been... I think 400 years since there was a king in the north, you mm-hmm. know, between that and, and Rob declaring. Yeah. So it has been quite a long time. Uh, it's not like they couldn't live in the, the modality before that. Yeah. So that was interesting. Yeah, and to get to the second point, like, yeah. I don't know why Daenerys thought anything had changed. Right, yeah, right. Sure. And, like, why so, it matters even to her. I mean, I can see more why it matters to her, but, again, not really. Because the North is a barren, nonsense wasteland. Yeah, it clearly provides the least value to the to the realm. If you're if you're running King's Landing, that's the part that you could eat the most easily do without. Maybe Danny's a green seer. There's some magical oil that she'll be able to get her hands on <laughs> a thousand years from now. That 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 must be. It. Maybe a bunch of caches caches of timber. Maybe they're thinking so about think... that. Like God's wood. I think the only bit that was more perplexing about that interaction is that it, it's kicked off by Jorah encouraging Danny to meet with her after he vouches for Tyrion. And I get that they should be on the same side and that they had a good time talking about old Valyria while they're going through the ruins, but... Tyrion has not made a good choice since Jorah encountered him. No, that's true. Um, I think there's, this is very explainable, not from a logical standpoint, but from, we just gotta, like, Jorah's just gotta say a few nice things before he gets murdered coming up here tomorrow, <laughs> or next episode. Like, I really don't think there's that, they didn't, nothing really goes into that other than that. I mean, you're not you're not feeling good about Jorah's Jorah's fate in this this coming battle. No, I feel like he's <laughs> he's like my the top of my board for deaths. Okay, okay. So yeah, I, I I'm just confused. I, I don't understand how he's decided that Tyrion is a good hand at this point when he was originally opposed to it, and since then, I mean, we discussed last week the the series of L's that Tyrion has has put forth since then. Yeah. But it's odd to be like, oh yeah, well, I didn't believe it before, but after watching him do this, <laughs> I'm sold. <laughs> and I like the yeah when he's talking about him, like after he kidnaps him, he's like he just wouldn't stop talking, and he's like. Well, then you put him into power, and everything he's done is backfired. But he's like, when he was talking to me as we traveled, <laughs> like what the, the you know esoteric mention of the doom of Valyria and how like Aegon the you know the dumbass flew six <laughs> dragons instead of four to Westeros, and that was his downfall. Like, oh, the Jor was convinced right then and there. I don't. Yeah, I, I agree with you fully because it doesn't make any sense. Because he was like, that's when he convinced me how smart he was. I'm like, all he did was tell a bunch of jokes and get drunk. Like, he was drunk the whole time. Oh, wait, no, he wasn't. Because they couldn't get wine. He complained about not being drunk the whole time. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) So, so yeah, it's a puzzling puzzling turn of mind for, for Jorah there. The, the other one that we had before we move on to the later uh, interactions was uh, shortly after Jamie's trial, he goes to apologize to Bran. I, I liked the fact that he let off with pretty much just saying, hey, I'm sorry, I pushed you out of the window. Mm-hmm. 
instead of, you know, trying to sort of meander around it. And new Jamie brand predictably responded with being brand, I guess. He did. (laughs) I remember like last week I was talking about how it would be a real bummer if he wasn't trying to like troll Jamie hardcore by, you know, the things I do for love. Uh-huh. And he said it again during the trial. So it was definitely a true troll. Or the I'm waiting for an old friend was a true troll when he did the yes. same thing he did to Baelish, you know, with the uh, cast as a ladder during his trial. Yeah, yeah I, I really liked that, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> Bran seems like super forgiving in the same way, like, because he's not a person, but also in the same way that <laughs> strangely Jorah is very forgiving and all this, you know, he's kind of closing all the loose ends he might have because again he might have to die next episode do you think that bran in his three-eyed raven book just has like a series of of lines that each character has mentioned that he can bring up in case they they stumble into one of the words like he waits for baelish to say chaos so that he can drop the chaos as a ladder line i really like that as soon as jamie says love in this fake trial man i, I got him like <laughs> He's just sitting there like he's got the whole history of Westeros is in his head, and the only thing he can think is, "You better say the word love." Zinger for you. <laughs> okay, so so anyway, Theon ends up making it to Winterfell because we, we no longer care time about travel. travel time. No. Yep. So it's possible. It's possible, like I said before, that Cersei has, you know, managed to solidify the rest of Westeros in the time that all these things have happened. And... This is this is the most egregious one by far, I think, that <laughs> yes. we've ever had. Because one day has happened in Winterfell, and he made it all the way from <laughs> King's Landing to wherever he gets off the boat. Presumably, they, they sailed around the continent to get to Pike, because that's where Yara was going. <laughs> I won't say I won't say that that necessarily happened, but I don't think it would really take much more time. I mean, I guess I, don't, I really don't know. Yeah, he made it there in a day. Yeah, yeah. Um, which I mean, again, going back to your theory of why that has to happen, <laughs> Theon's towards the top of our boards as oh, well. Oh for... yeah, 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 yeah. That's why. Like, like why is Sansa that happy to see him? It's because she knows that he's gonna die. <laughs> well, she doesn't know. But, like, the writers know, and they're like, well, we're going to make her just, like, forgive him. A hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, give him the full forgiveness before that happens. So, so more sentimental moments for people who... Which I want to interject just for one second, sorry. It's a true, true bummer, because I think if Martin ever gets around to writing this whole thing, there's going to be a lot of things that don't get wrapped up, and you're going to be like, oh, man, I, like... I'm sad for these imaginary people that like they didn't really realize even in how brutal of a world they live in that like, yeah, you're not going to get that chance. <laughs> like you're going to hate this person and then they're going to die and like you're never going to resolve it. And like maybe in magic TV land we get to do that, but I don't think he's going to let them do that. And that's kind of going to pull at all of our heartstrings. And I think it's more, it's a better reflection of, I think the first six or seven seasons lost count it's a better reflection on that like this is nonsense <laughs> i think oh for sure we're all getting yeah it's i mean it's it makes for pretty good tv but like it's complete nonsense <laughs> in like the tenor of the rest of the story i think to your point you know we talked about we, we've talked about the past how the books expanded so broadly especially after yeah. book three mm-hmm. and introduced all these new storylines and you know, perfect example of this. One of those storylines is the narrator known as Frog, who is a Martell, who, you know, among many of Doran's plans, he sends he sends Quentin Martell to Marine to try to convince Danny and you know to basically to to marry Danny and bring her you know into Doran's side on this whole thing. Mm-hmm. And his storyline takes you all the way to Marine from Westeros, where he decides to impress Danny by introducing himself to her dragons and gets burned alive. <laughs> so that's sort of the the ending that you get on a lot of those threads mm-hmm. if you operate in this universe, I think. Yeah, for sure. And, like, that kind of stuff is frustrating, right? Because you spend all that time. Yes. But it's like, it's. I feel like the kind of, when it's the main characters, 
and it's kind of got a sad irony to it. Like, I don't know. Like a lost generation type. This is actually what the world is like. Like, it's not this fairy tale nonsense. And I think that's what makes a lot of, like, what he wrote and what we all appreciate about him. I mean, that's what makes it, kind of. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And, and I think that now that it's purely TV, they're trying to give nice little bows little to each off. of these. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so another character gets a very nice sentimental moment, which, which puts him more at risk. Uh, that would be Davos, who is ladling yeah. out Bummer. something, approximating soup. <laughs> and a young girl, very res- uh, reminiscent of Shireen, with some grayscale sort of marks on her face, comes up. And uh, and he and Gilly do a very nice job of convincing her to go below to the crypts. Probably but he, her death. Yes, yes, most likely. And uh, you know, it was it was a nice moment for Davos there, but maybe that doesn't bode well for him. Yeah, it, perhaps not. Yeah, it was a nice moment. It was like yeah, it was like a TV nice moment. I don't know. It was. It made me feel sad. That one made me feel very sad for him. Yeah, I agree. And I think the amount that we have to say about that also doesn't bode well for Davos, because in terms of arcs, other than maybe another showdown with Melisandre, his arc at this point is pretty well completed. Yeah, the only thing he's got going for him is, like, he's an outsider that, like, kind of scratched his way to the top. They get treated, I think, a little bit better than, you know, people born into great houses that, like, become honorable. That's very true. So, I mean, that's the only thing he's got going for him. And perhaps a little, yeah, uh, the you know, having another Melisandre time. Yes, yeah, yeah, and, and that could that could play into keeping him around. He's not he's not at the top of my list by any means. Uh, yeah, he's so, squarely in the middle for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think that's exactly right. Then we have... Uh, Jorah talking to Lyanna Mormont, and possibly the first time he's ever met her, right? Very possibly. If not, it would have been when she was a baby. Yeah. All right. I mean, yeah, I'm thinking it's got to be the first time they've met. Yeah, because he was banished a long time ago. Yeah. And she's, I think they say, what, eight or nine years old when she's first introduced in the story? Mm-hmm. So... Yes, I think that's very possibly the first time. And he's encouraging her to stay out of the battle because she is the future of, of the house. Yeah. But she's not having it, which isn't surprising because that's what we've seen from her this whole time. Probably, you know, going to escape certain doom by not going into the crypts. Right. And perhaps in a... In a gesture that, that gives Jorah good odds of at least accomplishing something significant in the battle to come, Sam Tarly presents him with the Tarly Ancestral Sword, Heartsbane, uh, so he now has a Valyrian Steel weapon to work with. Yeah, that's definitely going to do him some favors. That also skyrockets him to uh, Kingslayer status on my list of possible people who actually kill the Night King. Yes. Yeah, he is suddenly in play for that. Yep, I would say big time. Yeah, and that one, you know, not as sentimental as some of the other ones, but with the the added weight of, you know, allowing John to hang on to his family's ancestral sword. Mm-hmm. And and then, you know, in this case, receiving one from, from Sam. It's a nice little, you know, turnabout, basically. Yeah, bonkers little musical chairs of the eight Valyrian steel swords left. Of incredibly weapon, incredibly valuable weapons. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. So before we get to the discussion of the the sort of the fire fireside chat that that is really where you know the episode accelerates and sort of gets to a lot of these at, all at the same time. That's where it makes its biscuits. Let's be honest. Yep. <laughs> the only reason people like this one better than the other one is because of this yes. turn of events. I would say. Yes, that is absolutely right. So uh, Tyrion, and we'll we'll touch. In a bit about something else that Tyrion does this episode, but Tyrion is spending some time with Jamie in front of the fire, and they're sort of reminiscing about the last time they were in Winterfell and things like that. And before long, they're joined by, you know, kind of the the host of, of everyone. You get Davos, you get Tormund, you get Brienne, you get Pod, which is fantastic. I think the the introduction when when Brienne and Pod stumble in, 
and Brienne tells Tyrion that, that Pod can only have half a cup of wine because it's the <laughs> night before the battle, and he goes ahead and just pours the thing until it's pouring over. Yeah. Classic. <laughs> this is pretty fantastic. And then, I love Tormund. I don't exactly know what to think about his story. I love his. It. That was That was a <laughs> highlight for me. Or his attempted chugging from his horn that was which weird. didn't i didn't understand didn't go that. very well yeah <laughs> it did not uh, i watched a thing like whatever the uh there's like an extra over the hbo like people talk about the production of the episode like he was chugging real milk in that scene oh god that sounds horrible <laughs> it's disgusting well, that certainly explains it. Yeah, that, I mean, that's why he couldn't just drink the stuff. Because it's like, imagine trying to drink a whole horn of milk. I mean, what is that horn made out of? I mean, I'm sure it has some kind of smell. And I'm sure oh, the God, milk yeah. started tasting like the inside of the horn. I bet it was like, whatever that flavor of the plastic is leaching into the milk. So he's like, oh, I just poured on my beard. I don't care. It's nice and room temperature. <laughs> it was the fourth take. He's like, fuck it. I just gotta pour half of this onto me. I can't keep chugging milk. What am I? <laughs> okay, that, that makes more sense then. So as someone who is all in on the, the Tormund Brienne uh, <laughs> one-sided, maybe two-sided romance, she was a bit flustered. She was a bit flustered when he entered the room. And, uh, <laughs> and you know, I think, she's, I think she's at least entertaining the idea now. You think so? I think so. I think so. I you know, she's she she's is. not that interested in that side of life as is, but I think I think she's starting to appreciate his appreciation. Yeah, I think. I mean, you know, just the way the wildlings are, like, you know, it's it's if you can fight, you can fight, and like, I think that's something that we all find awesome about them. That it doesn't matter who you are, or what you look like, what your gender is. There's no, there's none of this nonsense about. Well, this is how we do things. It's like. Well, the way we do things is that if you're good at something, then you get recognized for it. Yep, and that's exactly why Tormund is the one in the room who is baffled that Brienne isn't a knight and says, fuck tradition. Yep. And then when, you know, when they all think about it, they're like, well, yeah, why isn't she? She's literally one of the commanders. Right. So she's been doing knightly things this entire time. Yeah. So so that leads to probably the, the, you know, most tear-jerking moment of the episode in which Jamie has Brienne uh, come and kneel in front of him to to knight her, since according to the, the rules of the realm, any knight can knight, you know, someone else. Mm-hmm. So, I thought that was... I mean, it's pretty fantastic to see that that arc. I don't want to think too much about what it means for Brienne. I think she's gonna make it. Really? I do. I don't know why. I just do. I need... I think, because I think... You can't kill Jamie and Brienne if you're TV people. So, I mean, yes. I think one of them are, is going to die. I think it's going to be Jamie. It might not be. If you want the true, like, Valencar, right? Jamie, not Tyrion, killing Cersei, then yeah, I think Brienne might die. But I, my money's on Jamie still. I don't know if I just want to believe in my own theories. But yeah, I think he's more likely going to die. But yeah, one of them is dead. 100%. Yeah, I think I think that's that's correct. It, it, it's a great it's a great moment either way, and uh, and sort of seeing everyone in the room celebrate it together is is pretty fantastic. See, actually, now if you, I'm trying now, I'm thinking of it from the other side. I think it's a bad thing for Jamie that he like stood up and did this whole thing where he's like, "Oh, no knights, knight women, but I'll be the only one that ever does." Yeah, like is that more? Is that like? Because, like, obviously it's a great honor for Brienne, and it's like, ooh, I don't know. Maybe that means your arc is over, but I really think it means Jamie's is. Because he's doing right by Brienne, and then he's just going to go die. Yeah, that's that's not a bad point, especially when he's sort of, you know, they've shown that he's not the fighter that he used to be. It's sort of like the, this is your final gesture as a knight is yeah. to pass that on mm-hmm. to someone deserving. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. It's a good point. So, uh, meanwhile, uh, Arya is, you know, practicing, shooting, shooting a bow and arrow at things after she goes to chat with, with the, uh, the Hound and, and Beric for a bit and finds them, uh, you know, they're grumpy old men, Barracking basically. and hounding. <laughs> exactly. And, uh, and Gendry arrives with her weapon. 
And her weapon appears to be a staff with blades on both ends. Nice. With dragonglass blades on both ends. Mm-hmm. Which is pretty fantastic, and I'll cover it a little bit in my article this week. But there was a fabled knight from a long, long time ago named Simeon Star-Eyes who used a staff with blades on both ends. And his nickname was, was Simeon Star-Eyes because he put sapphires in his empty eye sockets. Oh. Well, so What do you know? There's, you know, Arya's got a lot of uh, training as a blind person, and now she's wielding a staff with blades on both ends. And uh, and one of the mentions of Simeon Star Eyes places him at the Night Fort, which is where a lot of sort of fabled things in the story have ended up coming out to be true or being, you know, sort of rehashed in in current time. So I think the more important part of that scene uh, comes after that, where uh, where Arya and Gendry go ahead and get down. Full full disclosure, walked out of the room for that. Didn't want to see it. Didn't want to see it. Why is that? You know, I was grappling with it. I, I just didn't. I don't know. Just was done. Didn't want to do it. So just because when she, the show started, she was like a a child, and I realized she's not a child anymore. I was just like, no, I'm I'm good on this. And it was so weird. You're not the only person who's had that reaction. I've read that reaction a few times online, and I'm puzzled by it but mm-hmm. i was i was just very happy for Arya uh and gendry for that matter you know he's he's been crushing on her for a long time at this point too mm-hmm. uh and you could definitely see it coming when they they gave you some of those nice ab shots of of gendry there working the uh working the forge also when she plays the game of phases with him yes so. <laughs> yeah uh yeah, you knew she was, she was digging at something. It also set a lot of alarm bells in my brain about um, any kind of any kind of like sad irony this show has is that he finally reveals he's uh, a Baratheon bastard. And do you know who the highest like seated lady of the house Stark is? It's it's not Arya. So, like, what would make sense is Ooh, that's true. he gets the Stormlands, and then they marry their houses, but it's Sansa that he actually ends up with for whatever reason, and it's that irony that it's going to, like, break your heart in the end, because you know that Arya kind of loved him, but, like, she's not a lady of a house, and she doesn't want to be, and, like, everyone respects that, and I think that's awesome. But, like, politically and, like, geopolitically, it might make sense in Westeros, to like join those two houses and the only two the only person that could do that is Sansa and it would be less Arya even though they actually have a love for each other and that's like such a bummer to me yeah and Stanny and, and Renly didn't leave anyone behind uh, or I guess Stanny did but then he accidentally set her on fire accidentally eh <laughs> who I really wish got to kill him was uh, I, w- I wish Davos got to kill Stannis that would have been great so uh, if it gives you any comfort, because like I said, you're not the only person who's who sort of had that reaction to that scene. Uh, I was all all just pro at this point. Yeah. And they're not related in any way, which I'm super psyched <laughs> about when that's, it comes to sex scenes at this point. That's right. That's right. That's very true. But based on the amount of travel that people have done, Arya's probably 35 years old by now. So. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> so anyway, I'm excited to see what Arya does. Uh, some questions have been raised as to Gendry falling asleep just because there is an army of the undead arriving in the next, <laughs> I don't know, four or five hours or so. Maybe you'd stay awake at that point and, and, you know, either spend that time talking to the person or just getting ready to go fight. But, you know, when you got when you got a snooze, you got a snooze, I guess. That's 100% accurate, maybe, or maybe <laughs> not. It doesn't matter. I don't know. I think these guys are psychopaths, honestly. If they were like, <laughs> the dead are coming tomorrow, and be like, all right, good night. Like, <laughs> yep. Better me get ready. when I got zero hours of sleep versus me when I got like at least six, that's a whole different person. So That's true. That's true. Maybe you need, maybe you need that anger that you get when you're short on sleep, though. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> uh, okay, so that's actually a good, that's actually a good segue. With the, with the Night King's army arriving, I think the only big thing to take from that scene, because we knew that the army was going to be massive, is that there are a lot of White Walkers, right? Mm-hmm. It looks like they were sort of leading each of those little groups, so we're talking, you know, 
at least 50 White Walkers as opposed to the 12 that we've seen at a given time so far. Yeah, many more White Walkers than we've ever seen. Which makes the mm, C-plus battle plan that our crew drew up at the 11th hour uh, a a little more understandable. I'm not a huge fan of keeping your dragons close to home when you have a weapon that can torch large swaths of an army at once. Mm -hmm. But if you have, you know, I don't know if they all have the same cannon arm that the Night King has, Mm -hmm. but suddenly those dragons are much more at risk with that many White Walkers if they do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it obviously, I don't know. I like keeping them, like, I like even, like, just, like, put them behind the castle. Like, that's how I would do it until the Night King shows up with his dragon. Like, what are they going to do? Just have their little heads stick out and just melt everyone as soon as they get there. Like, Yeah, yeah, it would be a lot easier that way. Yeah, I don't like putting them out in the open. And, like, that's because, I mean, mostly it's stupid because, yeah, that's a ridiculous way to kill a dragon. That he threw a <laughs> spear through it and it exploded. Like, if anyone has even, like, one-tenth of that power, they're, like, these basically invincible dragons that can only be you know, hit by, I don't know, like, 120 years advance in technology instantly, I guess. I don't know. It was a whole, it's nonsense. Yes, so so the battle plan, um, just to sum it up, I would say, is Bran tells them that the Night King's true goal, which is interesting because we've never really had insight into what the Night King is truly after, is to both kill the Three-Eyed Raven and bring on an endless, endless night. Yeah. Which I guess makes sense for the Night King. Yeah, you want the endless night. Sam's interjection and that little soliloquy he delivered, I was like, just shut up. Like, you don't know what you're talking about. You're just waxing poetic. It felt like George, like, uh, George, went, he didn't do this. I always want to say it was his fault, but it's not. It just felt ridiculous. Yes, it, it is true. You'd think that it'd be like, hey, man, this is sort of Brand's thing. No one really knows what what he's on about so we're just like you gotta listen hear him out i don't know if you can add much well think about it if we don't remember where we've came from we're just animals (laughs) shut up thanks sam just shut your mouth you don't know what you're talking about bran doesn't know what he's talking about the the bad guy in this show is just a baseless nameless boogeyman that just wants to watch the world burn and we can't even have him do joker puns or whatever the joker does it's ridiculous so so the plan is to have bran basically act as bait and stay in the godswood of winterfell with an honor guard of theon Greyjoy and the ironborn for some reason i don't know why that would be your honor guard if you were facing down a terrifying enemy but that's that's what we've got and in the meantime john and danny are going to keep their dragons close while the unsullied essentially you know take advantage of what they're best at which is a defensive you know shell so they're going to try to just hold the, the rest of the army at bay and and hopefully give the rest of the the group a shot at the night king your thoughts yeah it's complete nonsense <laughs> like clear nonsense you also forgot the fire moat yes i did forget that which big big time <laughs> definitely gonna work see the only reason I, I can't i'm i'm searching my brain to like say something about it but it's like they're just gonna change all the terms on which we're familiar with. Like the White Walkers will be able to do something that we never were able to expect, or they're going to be able to do something that we didn't know they could do. Or finally we'll see some giant fucking ice spiders. Like where are the ice spiders? I want them to be there, but we've never seen them, but they should be there. But they're not. I agree. Like the giant ice giant they have is going to like, I don't know, be like, you can't kill him. And he has like weird ice armor on and, he falls down and makes a bridge across the fire moat. You'll be like, how can he do that? It's like, doesn't matter. He can. It's going to be something stupid. I think you're right. And I, and that, I think that's one of the reasons I'm not as annoyed with the mediocre battle planning as is, is that you're, I think you're right that the, the terms are going to change yeah. before the end of the, the fight. It's not going to be a, a, wow, actually, they ended up holding them off for three days consecutively and then you know, finally this happened and it battle turned on a very, you know, very narrow, (laughs) narrow miss somewhere, which one of the ones I've heard a lot about, and I think you're interested in this one is that something 
weird is going to go down with the Crips. Because everyone has been talking about how safe they are. I think it was mentioned six times last episode. (laughs) That's a lot. So the obvious thing would be you've got a bunch of dead bodies in the Crips. You've got an undead army that is capable of raising dead bodies. But the, the legend is that the Stark Kings are buried there and they they leave a, a sword on their statue in order to protect against vengeful spirits. Mm-hmm. So I I don't know that I would expect it to be the Stark Kings, the Starks that are resurrected. Agreed. I've heard so many people say so many dumb things. What do we think is going to be the weakness of the Crips? Because the other one I've heard is that the Night King is going to know how to get other path in that's what i'm that's i think that's most likely i think there's a lot of theories that places like a stark as the night king so he would have pretty good knowledge of you know especially given that he's probably like thousands of years old yeah brand the builder era so he might might have been able to see the blueprints there's that there's another theory that like the night king just rides the dragon to king's landing I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. You know, uh, I think it's most. I think it could either be the necromancy of the people in the crypts, but like they're all bones, so it's like, how scary really is that? Yeah, like is there some you know term limit on how how fresh one of these corpses needs to be? I would think there's got to be something, or else he would have all of human history to pull from when it came to his army. <laughs> so I think there, that's a possibility. And I think another possibility is he gets in that way somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, do you think he leaves the dragon? I mean, why would he, right? My, my theory about what happens is that the Night King wins the upcoming battle at Winterfell. Not overwhelmingly. Through treachery. Yes, I think that, like you said, something new is going to introduce itself as the element that gives him the victory. Because, I mean, the Unsullied are, are experts at defensive, you know, management, basically. They, they, they made their name by having a much smaller force hold off a much larger force. Because, they, you know, they've got interlocking shields, they've got spears, that's, that's something they're very good at. You couple that with the... You know the two dragons that you have that are staying near the castle. It should be pretty difficult for an invading army to, you know, really take it. So I think that the Night King will win. They will have casualties, and then you would hope you'd have a dragon to set fire to all the bodies, so he doesn't get to raise all of them. And there will be enough survivors on the Stark Garion side that they can retreat. the The main host will retreat to the Iron Islands and join Yara where they'll be across some water. And I actually don't know that the crypts are going to be taken because that's where the other survivors would have to hide out. I don't, I don't know what good it would do them necessarily, but I, I just, I don't, it would be weird if all the survivors had to evacuate to Pike, I think. And I think that when they evacuate to Pike, that's when the Night King will then turn his attention to King's Landing, especially if Bran is dead. Mm-hmm. And kind of balance out the sides at that point. I mean, Jamie makes a comment in this one about how, you know, Cersei's army with the Golden Company will be able to mop up the survivors with no problem, which still doesn't really make any sense to me. But if that is the case, then you would need someone to weaken Cersei's army, and the obvious candidate would be the Night King if, if he's winning here. Yeah. So that's sort of what I'm thinking is going to happen. Theon is defo going to die protecting Bran. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, in terms of using someone as bait, uh, I don't like Bran's odds of getting out of here very well because million percent dead, carried everywhere, and there's no Hodor even to carry him around anymore. Mm-hmm. So unless Theon manages to hold off everything that they throw at him, he's not. You know, if Theon throws his body in front of of Bran, Bran's not using that as an opportunity to get away. No, because he can't go anywhere. <laughs> right, <laughs> but I do think some. Bran must have told Tyrion something interesting. Yeah. Because they have this moment before we get the big fireside chat where Tyrion, you know, they had a a funny exchange. I'm not going to remember the quote exactly right. But essentially, you know, Tyrion says, well, if only we had all night stuck in a castle to, to talk about all these things. And then they cut away. So I think that Bran 
communicated something of importance to Tyrion there that Tyrion will then be the holder of. Yeah, I think that's true. Do you think Bran could... Like, I don't know. what The only possibility Bran doesn't die is that if his consciousness gets trapped inside of Ghost. <laughs> I mean, that is, that is how working works. That would be possible. Yeah, that's the only thing I can think. And it would be nice if Ghost survived, since they just gave him a tiny little cameo here. Yeah, one-third of Ghost. Yep. Okay. <laughs> Someone cast Mini on Ghost. Okay, so so before we before we go on to uh, some of the, the gambling opportunities that I, I jumped on for the final, the next episode, uh, the only other thing I want to touch on, and I'm going to spend some time writing about this at some point because I haven't found the answer yet, is John finally tells Danny... Exactly as we predicted, you know, they get interrupted at the at the moment that John finally tells Danny about his, his heritage. Danny does not take the news that she has a rival for the throne well. That's the only thing about it she did not take well. <laughs> True. She didn't seem to mind that that the aunt nephew piece of it really at all. It didn't bum her out in the slightest. <laughs> but the puzzling piece to me is that Danny looking at the Liana one says you know, Rhaegar, everybody says he was so kind and so gentle and all these things, and yet he kidnapped Lyanna Stark and raped her and all of this. It's it's strange to me that this is a fiction that is perpetuated even amongst the Targaryens, because if Lyanna conceived John and also gave birth to John, this is at least a nine-month stretch during which apparently Rhaegar told zero people and Lyanna told zero people that actually it was consensual and they were in love. Yeah, I mean, I guess the only people, like, Viserys was, like, an infant, so he wouldn't have no way of knowing or... Right. But, like, you would certainly think that Barristan would have known about it. (laughs) Yeah, and you have Targaryen loyalists sort of all over the realm... And, you know, like, even if even if Lyanna had sent a message to her, you know, father before he died and been like, this is actually, I am in love with him, they wouldn't have believed it. But at least then, when they bring it up now, people would say, oh, actually, there is there is a theory that this was actually something they wanted to do. Yeah, I mean, they could have just said all of this and then, like, what would have happened? Like, they could have just did this and said all of this. I mean, what's the worst that would have happened? Right, it couldn't be worse than what did happen, yeah. so why wouldn't you at least try telling people this? Yeah, they apparently just didn't, and like, <laughs> like what? <laughs> yeah, if you think too hard about the whole implications of the, you know, I guess, I mean, we don't know how babies work on Westeros, it might be like a six-week. <laughs> true, week. that's true. It might be a six-week thing. It's true, in fairness, you know, you never know. Um, okay, so, real quick, fairness, uh, before we... Before we call it a week, uh, when it comes to the the gambling opportunities I seized on, I, I just want to get your reaction to each of these in turn. And I'll start with the one that I'm the least confident in and it. work my way up. So my first one is Brienne of Tarth plus 175 to die before Tormund Giantsbane. Hmm. We talked a little bit about her odds and how you thought maybe a dip because she got knighted. I, 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 to be fair like totally fair i don't know what Tormund's like he doesn't really have an arc to redeem he's just kind of there mostly i agree he's firmly in a he might live and he might yeah so he's a wild card he's a wild card i think you'll know you will know i think 100 percent. if jamie dies you're fucked right because then they're gonna keep brianna around yeah i think so because then she's got to look sad a bunch of times thinking about Jamie, or else they can't <laughs> make a TV show anymore. But, that's that's very true. <laughs> so I think we're gonna figure it out this next episode. I think, I think you know, hundred to get one seventy five, not bad. Not bad. That, that's kind of where I was with with those odds. I thought, okay, like that's worth worth the shot on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the next one up, Davos plus two twenty five to die before Melisandre. Now this one, I'm picking solely on the fact that there are a lot of people that are going to die next episode and Melisandre is not going to be one of them unless she randomly appears. Which would be, I mean, I guess she could because of, you know, how people travel in this show. But I like that one a lot. Yeah, I mean, unless Davos is going to survive the series, then he's going to die before Melisandre. You think so? 
I think so, because Melisandre, I mean, she says she's got to die in Westeros, so I think she, you know, if he survives this episode, then I'm in trouble. But if he survives this episode, I think they're going to keep him around all the way to the end. Yeah, I think that's definitely true. But, well, she could, uh, yeah, you're probably right on that. But the, the, mon- the payout is so good. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, okay, so then the next one is Bran Stark. This one was I was very confused by. Bran Stark plus 155 to die before Jon Snow. Oh, yeah, Bran's on the outs, man. I mean, the Night King is coming right for him, right? Yeah, he's dead. <laughs> I can't see I can't see it I can't see a possibility of him living past this episode. And John is still the primary hero of the story. Especially given the way that Danny's been acting lately. They need to keep him around at least to die in the finale. Like a terrible, sad death. Exactly. Okay. So I'm glad you like that one. And then the final one I have I don't know how this one was it, the line is only minus one forty on this. And unfortunately, they have a limit on how much you can bet on it, or else I might be trying to buy a house with the winnings from this one. Theon Greyjoy, minus 140. So you only have to bet $140 to win $100 to die before Euron Greyjoy. Oh, yeah. Theon's dead. There is no chance Theon makes out of this episode, is there? No, he's fucking dead. I mean, they they wrote the epitaph. Like, they wrote his grave, his tombstone, whatever it says. Yeah. Yeah, he's dead. And Euron is probably not going to appear in this episode. <laughs> unless something complete, like, unless the, one of the, the okey-doke is that the Night King flies his dragon to King's Landing and just kills everyone, then yeah, Theon is just dead, and Euron's not going to appear in the episode. <laughs> yeah, so I feel great about that one, at least. What would be really great is if we get some squishers and they just, like, rip his face apart. Well, obviously that would be the best. We all know that the best would be squishers. I listened to like an hour YouTube video about uh, what, what the hell is his name? Patches, Patchface. Oh, Patchface, yeah. Fucking squisher Jesus, right there. <laughs> He's the prophet. He's the squisher Jesus. <laughs> yep. All right, buddy. Uh, thanks for thanks for jumping on to talk about this. Uh, I'm excited for this weekend's episode, and I'm excited to talk about it next week. We'll pour some drinks beforehand so that we have something to pour out for all of the many people who are going to die. Yeah. Who's the most likely you think to die? Theon? Yeah, Theon for sure. What about Jorah? What kind of bets could you have gotten for Jorah? The odds weren't appetizing, I believe is how I describe it. Yeah. Yeah. Take it easy. All right, buddy. Have a good one, and uh, we'll, we'll connect again next week. Sounds good. Mm-hmm.